Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you're either viewing this on YouTube or listening to this on Spotify or iTunes. We always invite you to let us know how we're doing. You can reach out to me via email at fredjeffsmith at cox.net, fredjeffsmith at cox.net. Just drop us a note, let us know what you enjoy and what you're not enjoying about the Thrive Podcast, and thank you again for your support and your participation. I'm very happy today to welcome Mr. Jordan Piazza to our Thrive Podcast. Mr. Piazza uh, is a second-generation owner of Phil's Oyster Bar and is a graduate of LSU, is a native Baton Rougean. He's a businessman here in our community. He is a registered Republican, and he plans to run for mayor of uh, East Baton Rouge Parish, Mayor President of East Baton Rouge Parish. Mr. Piazza, thank you for taking the time uh, to thanks come for having me. with us. Tell us your story. Who, who, who is Jordan Piazza? Who is the loaded question? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, like you uh, said earlier, I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, you know, to a family of five. I'm the youngest of five. I have a twin sister. Um, uh, my dad owned Phil's Oyster Bar on Government Street, which was here for. Um, Forever, it was there for 50 years. He owned it for 32 years. He bought it from a gentleman, Phil Tubinello, that originally owned it. Okay. So I grew up in the restaurant industry. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Baton Rouge with a real love for the city, uh, which I think is probably normal when you're young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I got older, uh, and I noticed the rest of my uh, friends' love wasn't as strong as mine, uh, it actually strengthened my love. And so I graduated University High School on LSU's campus. Okay. Um, and uh, parishioner St. Aloysius Church here in town, uh, where I grew up with my family. Okay. And and uh, my my brother actually went to Catholic High, but the rest of us went to U High. And then I went on to LSU to pursue a degree in uh, in business management, and which uh, agricultural business manage- management actually, uh, which was successful. And uh, over the course of that time, you know, my dad died. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away in 2007. Uh, yes, sir. He was diabetic, had a lot of health issues. So my whole life, uh, I was around him and experiencing that. So um, it, it required me to uh, take on more of a responsibility at a young age. Mm-hmm. I was always joked that I was, you know, 13 going on 30 because I was just mature for my age uh, in some regards. Obviously, as a, you're still a kid, but I was always at the restaurant. I was passionate mm-hmm. about it, and I lived there. I mean, I'd go to school and I'd go to, straight to the restaurant and would do my homework. I mean, it's just what I loved, and I think it's just part of being a people person. I love mm-hmm. being around people, and I love getting to meet people and and interacting rather than being a homebody. And so. As time went on and my dad passed away in 07, you know, we made the tough decision five five months before he passed to close the restaurant. And uh, when I went to LSU, I began uh, working in Tigerland. I started as a general manager of a bar in Tigerland. Uh, and I did that for a couple of years and then moved to another bar and did that as well. <clears throat> and then uh, after I graduated and I went to work for, uh, right before I graduated, I went to work for the guys that own Walk-Ons, uh, Bistro, or Sports okay. Bistro. Yeah. And so at that time they had... Um, 11 locations, or they were growing to 11 locations uh, in three cities. Um, they had 
think four four walk-ons. They had uh, an Irish pub, Happy's Irish pub. They had three locations of those. They had two pizza concepts, and then they had uh, another bar downtown. So okay. I was their operations support manager, uh, good friends with the guys that own it, and so uh, I had a lot of valuable lessons learned there. I left there in 2014 and then joined Raising Cane's in 2015. Okay. And I started Raising Cane's uh, as a general manager at the restaurant on Corporate Boulevard. It's no longer there now. It closed because all that issues with the yeah, lease. I'm renewal. very disappointed in there too because that's close to you where and me I both. live. Yeah. And, and it's, I go there so often that other day, I found myself driving there the other day. And I was like, oh, it's closed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but now I just go to the one on Foster in government. But uh, I worked there for six months and uh, I realized that uh, it was monotonous in terms of, you know, it was just kind of the same routine day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't great for my personality. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to Todd Graves, who owns Canes, who's a friend, and, and we talked. And he, he brought me on as his business manager uh, for him. So I went to work for the corporate office. Okay. And uh, I did that for uh, for a few years. And it was a great experience. And uh, over the course of that time, I had the opportunity to move to Dallas, where they have another office, a restaurant support office. Uh and I declined that uh, that opportunity uh, because one strict reason that I wanted to be in Baton Rouge. I knew that I was uh, no matter what presented itself, mm-hmm. Baton Rouge was going to always be my home. Okay, uh, and you know it's kind of interesting because as I've dated different you know women over the years, they've kind of all thought, well, is there anywhere else to go? And, and they knew with me that it wasn't an option. And mm-hmm. so uh, I'm passionate about Baton Rouge. You know, I'm very protective of Baton Rouge. I love the city. And um, after working with Todd um, in 2016, my brother and I reopened the restaurant uh, to honor my dad's legacy, and it's been great. And then in um, 2018, I'm sorry, 2019, last year, uh, Peter Sclafani, who's one of the founders of Rafino's Restaurant uh, and, and the chef, he yes. joined our team because uh, he sold out of Rafino's, and so now he's a partner with us. Okay. And that same year, my brother and I and some other friends uh, bought Uncle Earl's Bar right down the street. Yes. And we opened that. And so uh, I'm just rooted deep in Baton Rouge and trying to— you know, ground myself even more. Just mm-hmm. got married uh, in, Congratulations. in May. Thank you. Uh, her name's Jordan as well. Okay. And a lot of Jordan people, and Jordan. Jor- and then my and then my best friend's named Jordan as well. And so it's uh, <laughs> it's the three Jordans, and it's okay. uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool. And uh, she's originally from Fayetteville, Arkansas. And so she likewise was kind of like, hey, you know, is Arkansas an option? And I was like, no, yeah, it's <laughs> not for me. And so uh, yeah. And and I think it's just because uh, you know I love Baton Rouge so much, and I think the city has so much to offer mm-hmm. um, for so many, and it's got so many cool unique um history that that we don't necessarily appreciate and Mm uh and here i am today so what would i be interested in learning about the restaurant business from someone who has seen it from the backside i mean typically person who walks into a restaurant they walk in the front door they wait to be seated or they take a seat and they want their food they want it within a certain uh Speed. Mm-hmm. They want it to taste a certain kind of way. If they get the service that they want, they get up and they leave. What are the things that we don't see that go on behind the scenes? I think that's a that's a great question uh, because I think what's a mis- uh, misperception rather that a lot of people have is that it's it's a glamorous um, thing to own a restaurant. You know, I've heard a lot like Glenn Big Baby Davis, who's I went to high school with, a good friend mm-hmm. of mine. He you know from Baton Rouge, he wanted to open a restaurant. You know, when he was in the league and he came and talked to me, I was like, Glenn, save your money, man. Like, uh, and I can tell you why, and it's just. It's a it's a lot of work that goes in a restaurant. I think it's one of the personally having worked it and worked other careers. I think it's one of the toughest industries out mm-hmm. there because it's it's seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days a year, and as an owner, you have to watch everything because the margins aren't great. 
You know, they can they can be good. I was going to ask you what what's the typical profit margin? Yeah, on a restaurant, you know, it, I would say probably ten to fifteen percent. Okay, uh, which seems good, but it, what you know depends on your price point. Like if you're fine dining, is obviously higher, but your mm-hmm. food cost is also going to be higher too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's greater opportunity to sell alcoholic beverages at fine dining restaurants, which mm-hmm. has a much higher profit margin. Uh, but at a restaurant, I mean, you have to really put forth effort to get ten to fifteen percent, and and not that it's not you know anything you do, I think you should work hard to to get uh, a profit, but a lot of people see, oh, you know, they come in on your busy, to your point, you come in on a busy night, on a Friday night, and you see that the restaurant is full. Oh, man, you're making a bunch of money. It's like, well, come on Monday night when there's no one in here. Right. And let's talk about it then, you know. Right. And and that's what is, is tough that I think people don't see. You know, yeah, it's great. You know, a lot of famous people come in and out. Um, a lot of, you know, politicians, you know, the who's who will come in and out. That's all fun. That's the glamour everyone sees. But mm-hmm. the work that it takes, I mean, when you're dealing with, everyone has a different uh, you know, taste palette. Mm-hmm. So what we think is great, not everyone necessarily will think is great. Right. So some of our best dishes that get amazing reviews, another customer will say it's horrible. And we have to respect that because in their opinion, it is bad. Right. And so the challenge is, is that for us is, you know, A, service is everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, one thing I always preach in pre-shifts is, you know, you have to smile. Smile is contagious because if you're not smiling, then the customer is going to feel that energy. And that you, whatever energy the server has is what how their experience is going to be overall. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that being said, you know, if a server comes in on a bad day or has have something going on personally and they, they can't leave it at home, it interferes with work. And so right. we're an industry that depends, just like many industries, obviously, but we depend heavily on on people. Mm-hmm. And people aren't reliable, unfortunately, uh, the ones that are taking our career, rather, um, mm-hmm. because it's not a salary position. It's mm-hmm. an hourly job, and they're taking a risk, too. They don't know if we're going to be busy that day, so they might make tips. They might not make tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the back of house, you know, the kitchen and, and that staff, you know, they might have things going on, and, and the challenge we face is, you know, is transportation's an issue, you know, and so it makes it difficult for them to get to work. And so right. what I find, uh, to answer your question on the back end, is, you know, there's a lot more work that goes into it to, to actually just open the doors. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going in early, making sure everything's ready, and then when people are late, it's calling them and going to pick them up. I mean, literally going to pick people up and because, you know, you, they're, they're key to your success. I right. mean, one person can really uh, can, missing can really mess you up and so yeah. there's a lot of work that goes into it and, and uh, it can be thankless you know no one's saying hey thank you for this great meal because that's what your the expectation is they come in and they have a great meal that's what you're here to do uh-huh. and so so they're not you know they're not thanking us we're thanking them so guys don't get up and leave and say thank you so much for no it's us saying they get really? I me mean, I mean you know occasionally you know they'll say thank you back but uh-huh. but we're thanking them because there's hundreds of restaurants in the Baton Rouge community you can eat yeah. at thank you for choosing us. And, you okay. know, and I try and find out why did you choose us. And then mm-hmm. the, the tough part, going further with that, is that and I, I, I'm i great at this because I'll give you an example. California Pizza Kitchen, they have a salad that I love. Mm-hmm. I go just for that salad every single time. That's all I'm getting. I know before I go there what I'm getting. Yeah. That's how people are. They're a creature of habit. So when people come that have been here before, most of the time they're going to get the same either one item or maybe they try a different. Yeah. But they expect it to taste the same every single time. Sure. And if it doesn't, that's a problem. Sure. And and so consistency is an issue uh, in the restaurant business, especially a small restaurant like us that doesn't mass you know have mass volume to produce mm-hmm. uh, with a commissary. You know we mm-hmm. have uh, like uh, franchising restaurants can produce with a commissary where someone off site makes the recipes and ships it in, and it guarantees consistency. But someone in a small restaurant like us, the volume you have to do in order to uh, to really justify doing that is is pretty significant. And so when a chef leaves. Mm-hmm. And a new chef comes in. Is the new chef, uh, d- does he have the latitude to tweak 
the 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 menu the recipe or the recipe yeah or or do you have a book that says it has to be done this way two teaspoons of this <laughs> one one tablespoon of that how does that work and that's a great question you know, so with my dad how he got successful when he took over Phil's his uh, family was involved his okay. his dad and primarily his mom and um, who was in New Orleans at the time who would cook stuff on Sunday and take the bus from New Orleans and bring it in. And this is in the in the late seventies, early eighties. But bring it in over the you know and have it to serve at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I say that because his sister took over that role too as time went on, uh, and she ran the restaurant. And we have a, a set of family recipes that uh, I call the non-negotiables. So you can't okay. can't touch those recipes. Okay. And every chef, ha- and look, they have great credentials. And th- I'm not saying you can't make a great red sauce, but don't touch my mama's gravy, right. gravy because there's plenty of people that come here just for mama's spaghetti exactly. meatballs. Yeah. And so to answer your question, you know. The, what we try and do with, with chefs that come in is like, hey, here are the items that we're not going to touch because it's proven that it works from the first generation with my dad and still here today. Same okay. recipe. They're great. But anything else, have at it. Show mm-hmm. us what you're, what you're great at. Show us some specials. You know, that's where, and that's where chefs, what I've learned in my experience, chefs like to, they cre- like to create specials. Mm-hmm. They like to do something that's different and put their name on it and their touch on it because those key items, they, they, you know, they don't want to mess with the batter for a fried shrimp boy. That doesn't, mm-hmm. that doesn't intrigue them Mm -hmm. but they'll want to mess with you know a a fish dish with certain type of uh, sides and all and and get creative and that's that's great because usually they they can call it's it's a challenge them because they got to create the dish they got to cost it out price it but also make it where it's uh, intriguing to the customer to buy Mm -hmm. and so to answer your question we have some items that hey you can't touch but uh when peter came in uh you know he he thought hey the items you don't want me to touch, I agree with. They're great. Mm-hmm. And then he came in and took the items that we knew we weren't great at and made them better. And so uh, before that, though, that was a challenge that my dad experienced and we experienced initially because every chef wants to do it their way. Right. And it goes back to the consistency issue that I was talking about with customers. Mm-hmm. They came in and they had something they wanted it the same way. They didn't care. They don't care who the chef is. Mm-hmm. They don't care who's back there cooking. They came to Phil's. They had a dish. They want it that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a struggle over the years in the past when um, when items would change. You know, the crawfish fait would be tweaked a little. Right. And so finally, that's when my brother and I said, okay, hey, these are the non-negotiables. Here are the recipes, the Phil's recipes that are st- locked in. Right. And there's about eight to ten of those. Right. And then everything else, you know, the chef, is, it's at his discretion. Okay. Uh, but now that we have Peter, who's a chef and a partner, uh-huh. it's good oh. because he's locking them in. You know, okay. it's like, hey, we added these and changed these, but these are locked in now because I'm also a partner. So it's He's a partner. And, and they're great recipes. Okay. So when you open up for dinner, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what your hours mm-hmm. are. Uh, I've ordered from you guys before. I love, love your food. Thank you. Uh, uh, but... Guy comes in at eight o'clock in the morning to prepare for the night. Uh, how does he does he pre-prepare certain dishes? Are there thirty dishes sitting there waiting so that when I come in and order X, you've already got one waiting? Or is it prepared when I order? It's cooked to order for sure, okay. and, uh, and that's something that I learned uh, Canes. You know, when I was at Raising Canes, I mean. Todd did a phenomenal job in his uh, systems and processes of cooking to order, especially mm-hmm. with chicken, because you have you know a very limited amount of time that it can sit before it goes bad. Right. And I, and they were very strict on that. And so that's something that I learned. Because uh, to your point, when you know you're gonna be busy, it's like, well, why not pre-make some of this? And uh, we definitely do cook to order. Now, I'm not saying that we won't like. Wednesdays are hamburger steak special. We know we're gonna have, you know, we can look at the average and see how many we have. We might get the roll the meat and get it ready. Mm-hmm. But we're not pre-cooking anything gotcha. because. The, the quality's not there, you know, and and that's 
that's why we don't pre-cook anything or pre-prepare it. But we will set ourselves up. The guy will come in and say, okay, hey, I need to make sure I have 30 balls rolled mm-hmm. because I know I'm going to get 30 hamburger steak orders. And let me make sure I have enough green beans cooked and enough potatoes and all that so that when I do get this rush, all this is throwing it down, letting it cook, and then plating it. And so but, but as far as pre-preparing dishes, that's not something that we, we do. Tell me this. How did you make the decision that you wanted uh, to be a Republican as opposed to an independent or a Democrat? What what led you to Republican, uh, a Republican perspective on things? I I think, you know— it, it took time for sure, you know, because uh, my grandfather, my mom's side, you know, uh, my, my dad's grandparent, my dad's parents, sorry, were deceased when I was young. So I didn't get to know him. But my dad, my mom's dad was very private about politics. You could not talk politics with him. Uh, and, and after his death, I learned out he was a very big uh, Democrat, but he mm-hmm. did not like talk. talk you know, a lot of all the older generation didn't talk that. It was very private. And I respect that, obviously. And, and I respect that today. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a kid, I didn't know, well, hey, you know. Where am I going, Dad, Mom? What are, you know? Where are y'all's values? And they didn't really uh, give me guidance. You know, it's kind of like, hey, that's something you got to determine on your own. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I voted Democratic, uh, and I, I, you know, I voted for Sharon Broom, okay. who, who's a Democrat. I voted for Kip Holden every time he ran. Okay. My dad supported Kip. I voted for Barack Obama. Okay. Uh, I always find myself voting for the best candidate. I like to look at a candidate in any race and see what their values are, not just with their party, because I think the party values um, have just gotten so out of hand where they try and say, hey, if you're a Democrat or a Republican, these are your guidelines. But mm-hmm. the reality is you got to look at a person's heart. Mm-hmm. And you can still be a Republican Democrat and have some great core values, but doesn't mean you have to do everything that that party thinks you should do. Mm-hmm. And so it came down to, or to your point where you, know, you have to register. And so in East Baton Rouge, you, you know, and I could have registered as independent. However, I can't win an election as an independent. Um, and so— So politics was all—running for office was always in the back of your mind? It, it was No, it was actually never in the back of my mind. It just—here recently, you know, whenever—every time I moved, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I bought a house, sold a house, bought a house. And so you re-register in that district. And okay. so it kind of stuck in my mind, well, I need to pick a party mm-hmm. because, you know, that's also what's on your ballot for the presidential race. And so I kind of looked at the core values and mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'm, I'm conservative, you know, fiscally conservative. And, and, you know, I kind of align with some of the, uh, ideals of, of, uh, Republicans, but not mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's not going to stop me from voting who for, I want to vote for. But mm-hmm. I think when I looked at the two, I just said, Hey, I, I think Republicans more where I'm gonna, gonna, uh, fit best. And then, um, here recently is when I, you know, when I was considering, it, uh, a run, I had to decide, well, do, don't want to do Democrat. And I was like, well, that's not a good look to switch from Republican to Democrat. But mm-hmm. I thought about switching independent because I thought, you know, hey, there's a chance there. But then the reality is in Baton Rouge, an independent can't win mm-hmm. uh, at this time. And I'm not, and hopefully one day parties don't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today that it does matter. And so uh, I chose the Republican simply because I felt like uh, when when putting on paper, looking at their values, I felt like I aligned more with some of their values. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that. I align with every Republican's value, okay. and, and and that's why I pointed out that I, you know, last election I voted for, uh, you know, I met with Bodie White, who's running as a Republican. I met with Sharon Rustin Broom, and I voted voted and supported Sharon. Uh, same with Kip. Every year, you know, voted for him because I thought he did a great job, mm-hmm. and didn't matter. I look, I look, I hate the title per se, and I like to look past it because I think uh, sometimes it can. It, it unfortunately deters votes away from people mm-hmm. um, that might not be f- fair and just, you know, because 
just because I'm a Republican doesn't mean that a Democrat can't support me or that I don't have a lot of the same values that a Democrat has. Mm-hmm. I just I have to we've created a system where you have to pick one or the other. Yeah. Unfortunately. And so yeah. that's kind of where I've I've lined myself. Well, what do you think what what do you think the typical person's perception is when they hear Mr. Piazza is a Republican? Do do, do they hear Mr. Piazza, or do they hear Republican? Oh, they absolutely hear Republican. Absolutely. Okay. So, so, and, and I would agree with that. So, what do you think the typical perception is of a Republican in the year 2020? <laughs> I think, oh, that's, you know, Donald Trump has made that more interesting for sure. Uh, but I think, you know, typical um, perception of a Republican today uh, is very uh, pro-business. You know, uh, very, um, you know, obviously anti-Democrat. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, to being being candid, I, I think it's, you know, very, you know, um, most of their supporters are, are Caucasian or white or white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think a lot of the perception today is, is that, you know, hey, this is, uh, you know, if he's Republican, he's he's pro-business. He's pro-causes um, that, you know, a lot of Caucasians support. Um Maybe uh, anti um, call uh, movement causes, you know, that a lot of the Democratic Party support that mm-hmm. are, you know, like uh, you know, the justices and all, you know, things along the, the movements that you know, a lot of people have had, you know, um, that the Democrats are more freely, you know, uh, it's kind of it's kind of twisted question because I, I think the dip, the Republican Party, uh, you know, is, it has to identify with the president because he's Republican, and so a lot of his. Um, his decisions and beliefs. Do they have to identify with the president? Well, let me phrase that. They don't have to, but I think they have, you know, in terms okay. of he's, you know, they want a Republican he's in the house, president. And he's right. the president, and, and he's going to be on and, the ballot again. And I respect the fact that he's the president. But I don't believe that every Republican has to line up lockstep Correct. with the president any more than I think every Democrat has to line up with the leading Democrat. Uh, I, I agree with you that uh, we're not monolithic. Uh, we have differences of opinion. Uh, and so I get concerned uh, that when, when when you say Republican or Democrat, the typical person walks away thinking that they know everything about you based upon the fact that you have an R or D behind your name. Now, I'm not in politics. Mm-hmm. You are in politics. So that that matters far more to you than it does to me. And so my question to you would be, how do you dispel the myth that because I'm a Republican, you know everything there is to know about my positions on on everything. I think it's a, yeah, a great question. That's you know obviously I'm new to politics, so that's uh, something I'm learning myself. But th- what I've gathered is is that I have to get ahead of the curve and really um, show what my message is and what I stand for. And it's getting digging in the deep issues and letting people know where my stance is. And it might not align with the typical Republican stance, but mm-hmm. it's 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 being able to connect with people uh, and send messages out to people, hey, I am a registered Republican, but here's what I stand for. Mm-hmm. Here's what I believe on all issues, even in the ones that don't matter on, this, on the city level. Just let them know as a whole what type of person I am mm-hmm. and what I believe and, you know, that I'm pro-life and, and what I believe in and as a person and it kind of, you know... Well, your, we have a Democratic governor who's also pro-life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, I, and, and, and I, I support John Bell, voted for him as well. Yeah. And I know him and I think he's a great guy. And uh, to your point, I think nowadays, uh, or for me personally, how I get 
past the R is is connecting with people like yourselves and in the, just the community in general. Let them know, hey, here's who Jordan Piazza really is. Mm-hmm. And when they ask me questions, giving them an honest answer on where I stand and not giving them the general, here's a Republican stand. Mm-hmm. Here's what the Republicans want me to tell you. Right. Here's what I personally believe on every issue. And there are some issues that that are out there that I'm sure that I align with the Democrats on. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and but that's me being genuine and me being real. And I think that's what um, I'm hoping uh, will resonate with well with people and help some Democrats understand. Okay, can you be genuine and raise money at the same time as a Republican? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just being, no. being pragmatic. Yeah, and yeah. Honest and I'm laughing because I, you know it's a great it's a, it's a, such a truthful question, especially in Louisiana. I mean, yeah. just, just, they talk about dirty politics and and um, I can't speak on the past in terms of I've never done this before, so I can, mm-hmm. I never have but i know that i'm not going to sit with anyone and lie to them just to get money mm-hmm. uh one advantage i have is that i have a lot of business contacts and my dad uh set the groundwork for me uh knowing a lot of people my dad knew so many people i mean he was back in the 80s you know he in 90s he was good friends with the governor the president at lsu the athletic director i mean phil's was the place for who's who's right. and i say that because i always tell people that my dad was kind of like the unelected mayor because anytime you need something, you just call him. He got it done. But that was an error before cell phones existed, social media existed. Now when all that's here, it's not the same. Right. And so I say that because, um, you know, I want to be genuine with everybody. And so I'm not going to – if someone's not going to donate to my campaign or, donate or support me because I'm not lined up as a Republican or they want me to lie to tell them what they want to hear, they're just not going to get that from me. They're going to hear the way, where I stand and um, – I think you know it definitely will cause some challenges in fundraising, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't want support of people that don't genuinely uh, believe in me. And the mm-hmm. heart's got to be in the right place. And I wish we didn't have to raise any money to run. It's just the world we live in. Right. You know, I wish we could do it just on the, the people themselves, and not have to run ads, and not have to try and uh, to explain to people, you know, why you shouldn't vote for the other person. Because right. I don't plan on engaging in dirty politics and, and mudslinging and any opponent. That's mm-hmm. not my my mo. But uh, I do think there will be some challenges fundraising. But I also think that uh, people hope, and what I've learned so far is that, you know people meeting with me have a different expectation and then after we talk they're like man this this young man has really uh you know done his homework per se mm-hmm. and he's um he's ready and uh he's, he's genuine i mean once uh, what that's what i like to be i like to be very genuine with people and sometimes it's being blunt and mm-hmm. and that's a difficult conversation to have you know i i was telling my guys helping me in my campaign the other day i was like man you know Honestly speaking, if I'm able to get elected and, and, and run an office, there's probably a lot of people that don't like me mm-hmm. because people don't like change. And, yeah. and change has to occur in this city. And, and that's, that's just the bottom line. That's the only reason I'm considering is that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm newly married to the state that I want to have a family and I'm concerned with the direction of the city. But I'm also not leaving the city. And so that's why I decided to get involved. No one else, you know, I've reached out to, I started this conversation in, in July, you know, mm-hmm. June, July, and I've reached out to numerous politicians that I thought were going to step up to the plate and, and want to take this role when none of them do. And that concerns me. And uh, I'm also not one that's going to allow status quo. Is it that they don't want to step into this role or is it that they're reading the tea leaves and don't think that this is the right time to run? Because people want to win. Of course. <laughs> they don't just want to run. Yeah. They want to win. Absolutely. And and, and, and perhaps they're, they're thinking that this might not be the time when they can be most successful. I, I think it's I think it's a combination of both. To be honest, I think uh, I think some of them 
I think some of the people that are there, you know, particularly people that are termed out in the council uh, or in other political careers, I think they uh, fear that there's a lot of work to be done mm-hmm. and they just might not be up for the challenge. I mean, they mm-hmm. might just be tired, and I respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, or they might have other things going on in their lives, career-wise, right. other paths, and that's fine. Um, but also, to your point, I think that, uh, you know, I think that rhetoric that we have that, oh, you know, we have an incumbent mayor in a, in a primarily Democratic city, uh, you know, you can't win. I think that rhetoric is, is unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when it's known that her, our current mayor, who, I, again, I voted for, her um, um, likely um, likeness, I'm sorry, through the city or, or uh, expectations aren't great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know that from polling, that some polling that we've done and uh, talk, just talking with residents and business people. But knowing that, something's got to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's what bothers me is, is that you're right. A lot of people say, okay, well, the odds are against you. There's no doubt. And But if, it, if our voice has to get out there, a voice has to get out there and say, mm-hmm. you know what, things have to change. And mm-hmm. We tried. We hoped four years she would make some changes, and then we don't see that happen. We kind of see a regress instead of progress. We got to make some changes, and so I think people are like your point. People want to win, and it's not about winning to me. I've told them, everyone I talk to. I said, listen, if, at the end of the day, if I don't win, if our the younger generation like myself begin to get involved in government, mm-hmm. that's a win mm-hmm. for the city, and that and that's that's what I'm trying to get out to the youth. It's like, man, we have to get involved. We are the future of this city. We're fixing to have kids. You know, I'm fixing to have kids hopefully one day. And my, my brother has kids and my sisters and, and, it's, right. and all my friends have kids. And it's like, man, you, you know, they're all fearful. Where's the city heading? You know, you have to, we have to have kids in private schools, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it shouldn't be that way. Mm-hmm. And it, these are tough conversations mm-hmm. and, uh, it has to be addressed though. And so, I, you know, I'm not one, like I said, that, that is stands for status quo. I'm not going to sit back and say, okay, well, we've got an incumbent mayor in a democratic city who's running as a Democrat. Um, I'm not going to beat her. So I'm just going to stand down. That's like, to me, that's, that's very dangerous for mm-hmm. the city because, uh, whoever the next mayor is, even if it's her again, change has to occur. And so if me running brings us some ideas to her or the next mayor who does get elected mm-hmm. or, you know, it gets other people in the room, it's still a win because, mm-hmm. uh, I think the city is acknowledged without saying that, Hey, um, you know, things aren't headed in the right direction and it's, and it's, it's time to make a difference. And so, uh, I, it's your point. There are some people that are standing down because they don't want to, uh, they're afraid of losing, but to me, it's not, it's not about winning or losing the election. It's about the city winning and losing. And, uh, it's losing right now. And, yeah, there was a poll the other day and, um, I think Forbes or USA Today, and it was talking about the best run cities and Baton Rouge was, uh, number 66 on the list as the best run city, you know, for major cities. But, uh, it was 144th in the same line, 144th for the uh, quality of life in the city. Mm-hmm. But one column over was the per capita of a resident and we were number 20. And so when you think about that for a second, we're number, we're in the top 20 in the United States per capita for residents. But yet the quality of life is 144. Mm-hmm. How does that even make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so it's saying, hey, we got the money, but we don't we don't provide the the lifestyle. You mm-hmm. know, and so that's alarming. And and uh, and I can't, you know, I, I'm in business, and I tell people all the time, I'm better suited staying where I'm at. I'll make a lot more money uh, running businesses than I will getting into politics. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, but if no one else is going to do it, or no one else that I believe is qualified to do it, rather. Then, then I'm going to put my name in the hat and hope that I get some support and make some changes. 
And, and I'm not trying to make this a, a two, three term or a lifelong deal. My goal is to get in there, put a plan together, and honestly create a succession nobody plan. Nobody ever does. Yeah, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> true. No, no, nobody. They, they always I'm just going to go in, I'm going to hit it, and I'm going to get on out, and I'm going to go do something else in my life. And then 30 years later, <laughs> they're, they're still there. They're, they're still there. <laughs> You're right. Um, I'm sure that you don't think of yourself as a pessimist. You don't come across as a pessimist at all. Do you consider yourself an optimist or a pragmatist? Optimist. Okay. For sure. Define that optimism for me or or help help me to understand that optimism. For for the city particularly? Yeah. Just me? You as a person. Yeah, my my outlook. You know, I'm always trying to, you know, I I find myself to be very outgoing, very energetic. And so um, when what I've learned, you know, coming from a family and being the the youngest, uh, I learned that, you know, I have to – Especially, I had a lot. I've had a lot of loss, you know, in terms of uh, my dad died, mm-hmm. and then uh, before my dad died, my grandmother died, who's my last living grandmother, and then uh, after my dad died, um, one of my best friends died, and then my grandfather died, and then my best friend's girlfriend died, and this was all like in an eighteen-month period, mm-hmm. and these are people that are really close to me, mm-hmm. and so after these losses, you know, I had I had to deal with this. I mean, and it, it was kind of growing up again, growing up quick. I mean, I had to. It's not normal for someone to lose that much that quick. And so I went through some, you know, rough phase of depression and all that. And and when I came out of that, you know, I realized, hey, you know, life is short. Mm -hmm. And so you have to look for the positive in life. And and what I've learned about the city, and this is what the outlook I'm trying to have, is that we've got, like, besides the great food, the great culture, our people are great Mm -hmm. in the state of Louisiana. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't find our type of people anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. And when I say our type, outgoing, friendly Southerners, I mean, I've gone to other states. I get offended when I go somewhere and I say, hey, how are you? And people don't respond like Nobody speaks. Because here it's like you always acknowledge one another. And I get offended. And they they don't mean it rudely. It's just not how they are. And so I think that's starting to go away because I have a 25-year-old son and he asks me all the time, why do you speak to everybody? <laughs> because that's the way we were raised. Absolutely. You speak to everyone. It's the kind thing to yeah. do. And and um, so with that outlook, you know, I think just knowing what the city has to offer and knowing, uh, you know, seeing past the, the – the front lines and knowing deep down that the city's rooted with, you know, the great university of LSU, the great historical black university on the other side of, of, of town. I mean, we've got so many great things in this city that how could you not be optimistic and happy about what's here? I mean, people try to say, oh, the city's, you know, it's got crime. It's got, yeah, everywhere's got that. Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, let's, let's be honest. It's got blight. Everywhere's got blight. But we got to do a better job. Mm-hmm. But when you look deep down you and you take everything off the surface, this city is unbelievable, and you know it's the capital city. We got the governors, all the state buildings here. I mean, there's so much here, and so I've learned that we can, you know. And I learned this from personal experience. I used to be a pessimist, and I realized that hey, that attitude isn't isn't getting you anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, no one wants to be around people that that are like that. People mm-hmm. want to be around people that are motivating, that are positive, that are outgoing, that see the light in the tunnel, that mm-hmm. can ensue hope in other people. And so, mm-hmm. uh, what I try and do is inspire people and show them, hey, you know, uh, you know. The outlook that you have to have has got to be a positive one because, again, it's like you talk about with service at the restaurant. People feed off your energy, mm-hmm. and and if they feel that your energy is 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 on the negative view, well, that's going to be going to become what their view is. Mm-hmm. And so you have to paint. Okay, well, you know, we're going through a tough time right now, but let's look at the positive through this. And then, well, how can you possibly find any positive? Because there's positive in everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're alive today. That's a that's a blessing. You know, and I think we take that for granted. And mm-hmm. so, uh, having going through all the, the trial and tribulation, there's, and there's little. I mean, look, there's people have gone through way more than I have. But just a little that I experienced in my young my youth. You know, when I was younger, 
has prepared me to find to take a, a a different outlook on life and be more optimistic about the future and just the fact that hey every day is, is a blessing and every every person you come across is is divine you know and, and, and there's a meaning for why you that you cross that person's path and you can make an impact in that person mm-hmm. you know people I work with for example they come through the restaurant I mean and the bar and just in the past like we might not cross paths again but I want to make an impression with everybody mm-hmm. and I'm not going to do that if I'm negative you know and and people don't want to be around uh, you know, someone that's that's not smiling, someone that's not happy go lucky. And I've, I've been that guy that, you know, you can, I'm, I'm like, I, I wear it on my face. You know when I'm mad, you know when I'm happy, and you know when I'm sad. Right. And so people don't want to be around me when I'm not, they know don't talk to him right now. You can see on his face, like walk away. Mm-hmm. I don't like that, you know. And so that's when I decided, hey, you know, I've got to change my outlook on, on things. And and my wife has been a, a great support. You know, getting uh, marriage is such a, a beautiful blessing, you know. Yeah, and and uh, she has been so helpful on uh, you know all these t- you know, tough times that I've gone through. Some different things. She's been uh, able to you know to show me help show me. Hey, look, it's okay. Like. There's, there's good coming out of this. And, and a lot of times that's tough for people to see that, uh, you know, I always say God will bring you through hell to get you to heaven. You know, it's it's a, actually a T.I. has it in a song that he sings. Uh, but but I believed it, you know, mm-hmm. and that's one thing I've learned is that, you know, uh, you will go through trouble, through hell. You know, you will mm-hmm. go through some trial and tribulation. But uh, it's just a challenge that, that God's setting forth for you to make you stronger in the end. And he's not going to bring you through anything he can't handle. And so uh, as far as being optimistic, I just think that, that um, that outlook in life is, you know, is going to be a key factor in, in how successful you are. You know, and if, and if you want to be successful, you have to be optimistic. And even when the odds are against you, even when it's showing, hey, you're you're not going to do well, you're, you can't win this. OK, mm-hmm. no problem. But let's not talk about negative. Let's talk about positive. What, mm-hmm. what can we do? What's what's the good that can come from this and focus on that? And you can make some some big impact. I believe you're all my life. Um, I think I know Baton Rouge fairly well, at least certain aspects of mm-hmm. it. There, there are parts of it that I'm sure I could uh, I could grow in my knowledge of. People, media in particular, likes to frame the the distinctions within Baton Rouge geographically, North Baton Rouge versus South mm-hmm. Baton Rouge. Uh, Livingston and Ascension Parish versus the southeastern part of the parish, Central and Zachary versus uh, downtown Baton Rouge. When really, as as I read that, they use geography because they don't want to say race. Mm-hmm. Baton Rouge doesn't have a ge- geography problem. Baton Rouge has a racial problem. Absolutely. And it's not just a matter of... of uh, primitive racism. I don't like you because you're white. I don't like you because you're black. It's economic and it's systemic. As mayor president, what's your plan to shift the 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 the, the racial divides that exist within our parish? That's a you know, it's definitely a topic uh, that I've been you know doing a lot more research on. I know it exists. It's something that I think is has unfortunately worsened over the last uh, few years. Um, but I think it's something that needs a lot of attention. And to your point, it's uh, it, it definitely is is gotten worse, and something has to be addressed. And as as mayor president, you know, my hope would be, um, I know it's going to be a challenge. In terms of, it's not going to be something that's going to happen overnight. It's not going to be something that's going to happen in my first year, second year. It's going to take a lot of work, a lot of effort, and a lot of ground on the ground 
boots on the ground with with a team to really bring us together and and how you do that and some of the some of the ideas you know I see is is really giving North Baton Rouge the attention it needs you just like South Baton Rouge has the attention, and South Baton Rouge, for example, St. George is crying, hey, we want a school district. Well, North Baton Rouge has its own concerns, and, and what I think the issue has been is that I think the council, the mayor and the council, have not worked well together, mm-hmm. uh, personally. This is my observation. And I say that because there, every district has a representative mm-hmm. on the council, and the mayor should be working hand-in-hand hand with that council representative to go in their district, not just talk about it, but go in their district and talk to the residents and figure out what's going on mm-hmm. and take figure out what's going on and the issues are and then put an action plan on how we're going to let North Baton Rouge know, hey, you are one of us. We, we win together, we lose together. If you're suffering, I'm suffering. And if they're happy with there, I'm not, I'm not happy to the whole parish is happy. And so to answer that, you know, I've got some different ideas, but I don't want to say too much too soon so that my, my uh, opponents, you know, take on sure. it. But, but, you know, I think what a lot of it is is really getting on the ground and really addressing these problems and, and holding people accountable. Because I think, to your point, which you said earlier, you know, it's um, – it, I watched a show last night on Netflix. It's called 13th, and it's about the 13th Amendment. And uh, it talks about uh, essentially how the uh, – how the prison system grew uh, with, you know, Richard Nixon and um, and uh, Bill Clinton and, and all these different presidents that have, have put these policies in place mm-hmm. and uh, is very enlightening, uh, powerful message. And but at the end of the day, it was basically another word. Criminal was another word for for racism. You yes. know? And, and it's something that I was not as aware of until I saw saw this episode. And so I say that because, you know, what I'm learning uh and I believe we have prison issues here as well, but um, we've got to uh, work harder, especially because we're in the South. We mm-hmm. got to work harder to let uh, the residents and citizens know that um, that although a racial inequality might have existed, and look, some of this we can't control because uh, it's you know our ancestors, right? In terms of the our elder generations, like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were treated poorly. You know, like let's, let's talk about African Americans. Like they lived it, they experienced it. So nothing I'm gonna tell them is gonna change their mind because they know how people were. They experienced that, and so we've got to work on our generation and work with the African American community. Because I say it because let's be honest, North Baton Rouge is African American community, mm-hmm. and we got to work with the business people and the residents because what it is is poverty and non-poverty, and it's not fair. And and, and, I, and it only makes the city look bad, in my personal opinion. You know, like flying into the Baton Rouge and seeing North Baton Rouge that way is 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 like it's embarrassing. It breaks my heart because it's like, why are we neglecting this area that was one, when the whites lived there? We were all about it, mm-hmm. but now that the the white community has moved to a different part of town, we want to forget about it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's still in our parish, mm-hmm. and these are still our residents. Mm-hmm. Whether they were here then or whether they weren't, doesn't matter. These are our people. And what I think's got, I think you know, some general things that have to happen. I think we got to hold people accountable, and by people, I mean the slumlords, mm-hmm. the people that are renting these houses for nothing and not taking care of them and letting people live in this condition. Mm-hmm. We have a responsibility of government to hold some standards mm-hmm. to get these businesses to say, hey. If y'all are gonna build here, we got to have some some stricter guidelines and afford these people the same thing that we have over here. Mm-hmm. Why can't we? You know, and and it, it's it's having those tough conversations of hey, like we're not just gonna accept the fact that that's a lower income area and just let it. This is East Baton Rouge Parish from the north to the south, and we've got to be equal. 
And we understand that there is a, a median I mean, income divide. We get that. So not everyone can afford the same. As every, we, that's, that's unknown. That's everywhere. But doesn't mean that they're, they got to lack resources. They got to lack um, attention or lack any of those grocery things. Grocery stores. Anything. Everything. Like there's, there's no you reason. You can't go to the grocery store in, in, in most of North yeah. Baton Rouge. And, and, and that's problematic. And I had a conversation with, with, with uh, a manager of an Albertsons mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Uh, uh, in North Baton Rouge? No. Oh, right, here on right here on Foster and, and government. government. Yeah. And uh, I asked, why are there no Albertsons in North Baton Rouge? Uh, at the time, the next Albertsons was in Baker uh, and then up in Zachary. But from, you see, what I consider North Baton Rouge is different from what most people today consider North Right. Everybody thinks that Florida Boulevard is the dividing line. Right. Well, when I was a kid, Florida Boulevard wasn't the dividing line. Mm-hmm. Airline Highway was the dividing line, and it has slowly moved more and more till now it's Florida Boulevard. At one point, I guess it's going to be Government Street. But but my question to him was, why was there no Albertsons in North Baton Rouge? Uh, and uh, I said, there are people there. Yeah, uh, why, 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 why would you not put a, a store in North Baton Rouge? And he said that the demographic model didn't fit within Albertson's scheme of doing business. Yeah. Now, to me, that's code. For there are too many black folk here and not enough white folk here. And so we're not going to invest in this area. Now, I... I don't know how to get past that. Of course. So how do you perceive the role of the mayor president as being able to shift the tide yeah. and things like that? Oh, and I think it's having those conversations with those people uh, like Albertsons. And, you know, I was, hey, if you want to be in our city on College Drive, you have to be okay with being in our city on Plank Road because money is green. Mm-hmm. Revenue is revenue, and it's not about black or white. It's about being able to provide the essential resources for all. Mm-hmm. And if we're not good enough for you over here, then you're not good enough for us over there. And, you know, and to answer your question, and so as mayor president, I think you have to engage on a higher level. So if the store manager is telling you that, then it's time to go talk with executives that want permits to go build other locations in the city, mm-hmm. or take a step back and go to local. See, I'm all about local business. Go to like the Rouses and those people and say, mm-hmm. hey, how can we work together? We know this isn't a typical model, but how can we work together to help you help us? You be part of the solution to get in the areas because they they need this as well. Mm-hmm. To say to what you just said, it makes me, you know, I'm shaking my head and I'm laughing, not laughing comically, laughing because that is so arrogant for that guy to say. Because he's probably right; it's not him. It's talking about what they were told. Right. But look at Raising Canes; I mean, they're on Plank Road. Yes, they are. I mean, Dumb Tony Seafood, which a lot of people don't realize, Tony Seafood out there, the amount of revenue they do is for like considered a restaurant market is unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. I don't believe they could put another market anywhere else in the city and do the same amount of revenue. Mm-hmm. And they aren't cheap. Okay, mm-hmm. so so my whole point being like, there's money to be made. Yes, and and and, and the fact that we're neglecting and the, and the business aren't. So I think the businesses aren't going there and the resources aren't there because no one on the mayor president's office is having these conversations saying, hey. Um, I'll help you get permit to get over here, but I'm going to need you to help me over here. And 
whatever that looks like is the conversation we have to have. And, uh, you know, having all those pop, uh, you know, that's what drives me crazy is, you, you know, you have these, um, like I'm looking in this year at the business report and it's showing the top commercial deals of the year. And all it is, is, uh, the top, you know, seven of the top 10 are, are just apartment complexes being bought right. and resold. That's not development. Right. That shouldn't even be in there. You know, we spend all, Kip spent all those years helping redevelop downtown, which I, I respect and because I think downtown, you know, to have a capital city, we need to have a strong downtown. I think the last four years we've gone backwards, but point being, we've learned that if we put our resource and, and dedication and focus to making something happen, we can do it. Mm-hmm. That's just that's common, and so we've got to put more effort into North Baton Rouge and, and, and resources and, and and figure out hey, what do they really need? And if you're saying Albertsons or, or not particularly any better grocery stores, better access to resources, we've got to stop. At this point, it's a grocery store. A, a, grocery, a store. grocery store. Yeah. And, and, I don't care what yeah, the what and, the brand is. Right. And, a grocery and, store. And how that doesn't happen, and you know, is. The fact that it hasn't happened to me is lack of leadership. It, it, it's just neglect. And, and and I hold the council responsible for that mm-hmm. in that area and, and to a certain degree because they are representative of the constituents. But let me tell you something a little further. I also don't agree, and I don't want to get too much into this, but I also don't agree with the pay that our council makes because they are paid so little money to try and represent a district. They have to keep another job. Mm-hmm. They they don't That pay is think somewhere between 14, 16 grand a year. We expect someone to represent our district and fight for it day in and day out when they have to have – like this is a side job. It's a side Correct. hustle. That is insane. Like that, they need more. Mm-hmm. That should be their full-time job mm-hmm. like it is most other councils in mm-hmm. the country mm-hmm. because that's when you get the real ground roots people that are going to go in there and make a difference in their community when that's all they have to do mm-hmm. because then their constituents can hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, uh, you're in my district. I'm paying – the city tax dollars are paying you. The only job you have is to make sure this district gets better. Why are we not? Why isn't our grocery store here? Mm-hmm. And then that's when they get to have the conversation with the mayor's office. And so one of the things you know that I, that I want to do, you know, as mayor is work. When I said work with the council, you know, I had this idea, and I don't look. These are ideas. It doesn't mean they all can come to fruition. Mm-hmm. But my idea is to is to want there's 12 councils once a month to spend a day in each district, you know, with each councilman and dr- and driving up every down the street to figure out, hey, what are the problems? You know, not just having conversations, but actually living, going and driving in these communities, talking to people and saying, hey, what's going on over here? Like, what, what can we help you with? Here are the good, the bad, the ugly. And then, then when we figure out what we need, it's going to reach out to those mega stores like a Walmart or an Albertsons or whatever it is and say, hey, can we have a meeting? Mm-hmm. Because people, I mean, Baton Rouge has a lot to offer. I mean, mm-hmm. look, people forget when, when College Drive Walmart opened, it was the number one Walmart in the nation for a couple of years. When Chili's opened right there on the College Drive exit, it was the number one Chili's for years. Point being, this little small town of Baton Rouge has a lot to offer businesses. Right. And all it takes is someone that has that mindset and understanding it's not easy, but we have to have these conversations. We've got to get, let me show you the roadmap mm-hmm. of why you can put Alberts in North Baton Rouge and it not be a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the whole, oh, it's it's dangerous. No, it's not any more dangerous in North Baton Rouge than it is on College Drive because theft is everywhere. Mm-hmm. The, the reason that theft is that way stems, in my opinion, from an educational issue, which mm-hmm. is a whole other issue. But it's not the area town. It's because we're not putting the resources to our schools. Okay. You brought up education twice. Yeah. Uh, sorry. No, that's fine. I think it's a I, big I, topic. It, it, it is. <sighs> But directly, the mayor president doesn't have Correct. an impact 
in the management of public schools. Correct. I, I grant you that there's a bully pulpit that the mayor president has and can speak on issues, mm -hmm. but the mayor president does not have direct administrative responsibility over the public school system. So in that you have unofficially announced your candidacy for mayor president, exactly what do you see your role as mayor president uh, with regard to improving the public school system? So, so yes, you're 100% right that there's no, uh, you know, the mayor president has no direct uh, responsibility. However, I think as mayor president and knowing that your uh, public schools are failing, particularly in the state, you know, that they're, that they're per, uh, performing uh, the lower end when you have a parish right next to you that's at the top tears, uh, I think you, it's time that you have to have conversations with the people that do make decisions and the people that are in power. Uh, I know the mayor's president's office is in charge of uh, the Head Start program, mm -hmm. and they're also in charge of the uh, Cradle Decay program, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is something that has got to be addressed because, to your point, uh, the mayor's president's office are not education experts. So why are we even trying to... That's where all you know education really starts is the youth, obviously. Mm -hmm. and they're trying to help the parents get the kids, you know, cradle to K, and then uh, the Head Start program. But point being is that, you know, I think that shift's got to change in where that those people, I mean, those programs rather get turned to educators or the education system because they're the best ones that are best qualified to help tell us because they're not effective. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very evident that they're ineffective. And I think if we had checks and balances, we, what are we holding our, our metrics on to show if those programs are effective? But I think further, you know, my understanding is that is that our current mayor is not having frequent conversations with the superintendent of the school board, not having frequent conversations with the school board in general. And when you're performing low, whether you have a direct responsibility or not, you have a responsibility to your citizens to be having those conversations and asking tough questions because the mayor can go to the governor and the legislator and have those conversations on, hey, here's the changes we got to make. How can I help as mayor facilitate that? Mm -hmm. Because we cannot continue this direction. Although I can't do anything personally, I can't allow these schools to continue to perform the way they are. Mm -hmm. I can't allow our teachers to be paid this little pay. What can I do to help you? Because it's working one parish over. With less residents and less income, they're having better programs. What, why, where's the gap? Mm -hmm. How can I help y'all? Who do I need to get in touch with? Who do I need to connect you with? I can't do it myself, but I want to be involved in the conversation because mm -hmm. these are my residents. Mm -hmm. and so I think that's that's why I keep saying it. You know, to, yes, it's not direct responsibility of the mayor's office, but the mayor has responsibility as the the you know the people's um, leader per se of the city mm -hmm. to make sure that they're they're asking they, you know just like if a parent's upset the parent doesn't have any responsibility to go talk to the school board and like that they're going to have w way more restricted access than a mayor would a mayor is going to be privileged with some more access to have conversations that need to be had and spark the debate and spark the conversations and provide assistance wherever they can to make sure it's getting to the right people and this, that's the responsibility I feel as the mayor is, is yes, it's not my responsibility and it, you know, with the school board. I don't have a direct overview. However, I should be having frequent conversations with them. I should be having meetings with the governor if needed or the, or the legislator or my representatives or whoever it is in the state that's going to mm -hmm. help make these changes. You know, when they built Lehigh, Lehigh is beautiful, okay? Nothing against the school. I think we could probably save a few million dollars. I don't think it needed to be as glamorous as it was. I mean, look at Woodlawn that they built, mm -hmm. okay? Woodlawn's not glamorous. That they just rebuilt, but Lehigh's going to stem schools. So we're going to build all these crazy glass structures on this huge piece of land. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's. Um, in my opinion, you know, there's just been a lot of decisions that have been made, and some of them at the city's behest because you know these schools are being built and contracts are being bid out, and it, it's uh, irresponsible in my opinion, and it's an irresponsible use of city funds, state funds too, because 
rather than we probably could have built two schools for the price that they paid for one when it came through all the expenses, you know. And that's what freshman me. When I, when I you know, was in Texas and you see schools, they're all just cinder block buildings. They're nice. Don't get me wrong. But they're not fancy because in the day, it's just an education place. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be fancy. Mm-hmm. Let private schools be fancy because people are paying for that. Mm-hmm. But public schools, the problem is we have so many public schools, elementaries particularly, that are outdated, that need resources, and someone's got to talk about it. You know, and I know they have these conversations, but it, it's in our it's in our area. I mean, mm-hmm. and so so when you say like as a mayor president, why are you getting involved? It's not really your area. It is my area. Well, it's I'm in not my asking zone. why. I'm just asking what you think your impact would yeah. be. Because I, I I tend to agree with you that uh, because of the office of 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 mayor president, uh, you would have doors opened to Correct. you that. That John Q. Public might would not have opened to them, but I'm 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 just wondering what your philosophy would be as to how you could negotiate uh, in in an area where you really don't have direct say absolutely as to what's going and, on. And, yeah, and I, I think it's you know that's something that we're still uh, doing more research on to you know to figure out. It's you know there's not a. a answer best fit for that. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of trial and error, to be honest. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be trying a lot of different things. But that's the key word is that we're trying. So mm-hmm. it's having these, you know, getting these doors open, to your point, having these conversations with, you know, representatives and, and the legislator and the governor and, you know, figuring out, okay, what do I need to, how do I make this easy for you to do? Mm-hmm. Do I need to go get private funds? Do I need to go secure? What can I do to help you so that you can make this happen? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I can't make it happen. You have to make it happen. But I'll be the liaisons if I need to be. I'll put effort and forth because it's in my city. I care about the city. Mm-hmm. I want to see this get better. Tell, tell me where, where the disconnect is. And, you know, I think it's like the guy, Shawshank Redemption, you know, um, he wanted to get more books for his library. And he wrote, wrote a week a letter, and it took however long to get the books. At some point, they're going to respond, you know, and they might tell you, hey, mind your business. But at least the citizens know that, hey— we have a mayor that's trying, right? And day in and day out, you know, it's really got to be a top initiative. Even though it's not the mayor's responsibility, they're trying to make things happen, and it's having conversation. I, mean, I tell people all the time, Baton Rouge, we're not reinventing the wheel here. I mean, there's other cities that are our size, our population, our demographic per se, you know, one way or the other, that have we're had these issues. Constantly being compared to Austin, Texas, wow. is that a fair comparison in your mind? Not in my mind, no. Okay, uh, I don't. You know, I've been to Austin one time, so I'll be honest on that, but. Uh, just the, my one time visiting, I don't, I don't see a, you know a whole lot of comparison there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I tell you this though, you know when I was there, what I saw that I don't think is as bad here, uh, and maybe it's more spread out here, maybe it's more contained there. But the homelessness, I mean, I know it's a problem here, but there it was horrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just everywhere on one, but in one corner, you know. And here we've got you know areas that have some, but I don't think it's as bad here as it is there. Um, but I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's fair to. I don't think you compare cities. Uh, it's tough to compare to Austin because you got to look on the state level. There's incentives in Texas on a state level yeah. that Louisiana doesn't have, and so so there so there when you're comparing. So us, there are some in it's media, unfair. and and I won't call their names. I'll I'll do it another time. Mm-hmm. But there are some in media uh, who constantly want to compare Baton Rouge to other parts other cities of its comparable size in the country. But I agree with what you just said. Uh, you, you can't just look at population size and say, well, because they have the same population, then they ought to be on the same level. 
a lot of that has to do with with how state government yeah. is run and and the relationship that exists between state government and local absolutely government and 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 I think sometimes that gets lost in 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 the the uh, throwing out of statistics well they have 67 percent of this and we only have 37 percent of the same thing I you're trying to make a point without really delving deeper into the issues as to why one city is one way and one city is another, and, and it has a lot to do with state government. Let me ask a couple other questions because yeah, yeah, we're, we're running short of time. Okay. Um, as a model, what do you think of the city parish form of government? Whew, uh, that's a loaded question. And again, I, I, I'm not crazy about the fact that Zachary has a mayor that I can't vote for, but the people of Zachary can vote for the mayor of Zachary of, of, of my oh, Baton Rouge yeah uh, and 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 central is the same way and and if it's successful St. George will be the same, same way. way I understand the city parish form of government I I think that there are deficiencies within it my opinion what, what's yeah. your opinion well of, I think I think the examples you just gave uh, show uh, that there is a there's a problem uh, and Central Zachary Baker and St. George now are trying to find the solutions to these problems because it's a, it's a so they did so by creating their own little cities and having their own mayors uh, and to your point it, yes there are a lot of people that are hey why are you voting for the the parish president uh, and should that role be separate should it be a, a mayor of the city of Baton Rouge that only this the Baton Rouge votes for and then a, may, uh, a parish president that's over all of it and maybe it's separate roles but I think the whole uh, plan of government has got to be, um, you know, reviewed. And mm-hmm. I say this, say this carefully because, uh, you know, you can you can lose a lot of um, support by by saying this from mainly from uh, people that work in the government. But, you know, time has changed. And that's one thing I'm trying to say about the youthful generation getting involved. The way they operated 50 years ago is not the way we operate now, and it's not going to be the way we operate in, in the future. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to look at the government and the way it operates and figure out where the inefficiencies are and what needs to be changed and what makes it fair to all. And, um, you know, St. George, I believe, you know, this all started because they wanted a school district. Yeah. I mean, literally. And, and we wouldn't give them a school district. absolutely correct. And, and had we just had that conversation and figured out a way, hey, we hear you. We're, we're going to – we got to talk – again, and talk with the governor. what say about a people that they are so vested in having control of a school district that they are willing to form an entire city in order – to get it. We can't get it any other kind of way. Yeah. Well, if this is the only way we can get it, right. then, 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 then we're going to form an entire yeah, city that's what they said. in order to do that. That's what they said. Hey, what you, does that say about their attitudes about the East Baton Rouge Parish oh, school system? No faith in it. You know, I think they, they don't believe in the East Baton Rouge Parish school system. And they and they also I also think it says that education is important, you know, to them. Important enough to where they'll go make their own city so they can have a school. But if it's, if it's that important, why can't we come together to make the consolidated school. Why do we have to break up into several different independent school yeah. districts instead of having a better consolidated school well, district? Well, and, and that's my point exactly, is that, that this all could have been avoided by having that conversation or, or one like that. Hey, how do we give them what they want, but also do it for the whole parish to make it make it beneficial for the whole parish? And instead they said, oh, nope, you can't have one because you're not your own, uh, your own city. If you want your own school district, you have to become your own city. Okay, well, that's what led them. So I think a lack of uh, addressing their concern, you almost call their bluff. You know, like, oh, hey, you want your own school? we got to become your own city. Like, they weren't going to do it trying to buy time. Well, guess what? It, 
motivate someone that has, you know, a community that has a lot of people, a lot of revenue, and a lot of kids, and they'll make it happen. And so I think it's just a, a part of the broader conversation that's got to be happening. And again, it's on the state level because, hey, we, we don't make the rules. You know, the state makes the rules in education. So don't be mad at us. Be mad at them. But at the end of the day, the mayor's president's office, and I'm talking back to Kip, could have had these conversations where we figured out a common ground. Hey, how do we fix it? This model's not working for the whole parish. Mm-hmm. It, that's why Zachary wouldn't do what they would. That's why Baker's done what they've done. And that's why uh, Central's done what they've done. How do we restructure this? governor, you know, or whoever it is, so we make it fair for everybody. So mm-hmm. because, because, the, because the reality is the geographic, the city, you know, the geographic of the city has changed, you know, and it, it's just, it's evolved. Yes, I mean, it I, has. I mean, when you can start with North Baton Rouge, like I said, years ago, that's where, you know, 40, 50 years ago, all the whites, and it's just slowly moved, but it's keep, it's keep moving. And we have to move with it. The city does, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the school districts and all, and all that's got to change. And that's what I'm trying to say is that, you know, we got stuck in these ways and we're not willing to adapt. And that's what's got us in the in the problems that we face today that are really wasting taxpayer dollars and, and our time of all these people worried about stuff that really shouldn't even be being discussed because the concern is legitimate and needs to be addressed. And, mm-hmm. and there needs to be a better plan of, hey, like – what I think the city does very poorly of is we're very reactive instead of proactive. Mm-hmm. We're not planning for five years from now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're playing catch up right now. Like mm-hmm. infrastructure is a great example. We're so far behind the, the rest of the country on the infrastructure that we're playing catch up. And so we're, we're applauding ourselves. Oh, these roads are getting fixed. Well, guess what? These roads are great for right now, but they're not ready for five years from now. Mm-hmm. And in five years from now, we're playing catch up again. It's mm-hmm. because we're not putting that, hey, what's the 5, 10, 15 year plan look like? How's the city going to change again? Let's look at the history, see what the trajectory is going to be. And let's put some things in effect before it happens. So when it does happen, we're prepared. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what that's that's the it's just a very small-minded type of uh of government in my in my opinion and it's it's kind of like uh baton rouge has grown i think exceeded that it i you can't deny it it outgrew whatever it was ever expected to be there's mm-hmm. no denying that i mean mm-hmm. it's, it's it's written but we have to we have to adapt and we gotta we gotta stop being uh that's why we get such negative uh you know media is because we're so far behind i think what austin might do that the city of baton rouge has done is they're planning ahead that's mm-hmm. a good example you want to compare but to your point earlier, that's a state-level deal, I believe, when you compare to other cities. But I think the city as a whole, and maybe even the state, but I think the city's got to do a better job of planning ahead so that you avoid the St. George problems before they ever exist. Because, you know, I mean, how could you not say that that area was going to one day be, uh, you know, have enough residents to, to have some concerns? I mean, they, they built U-Club 15 years ago. They started building University Club out there on Nicholson. I mean, did they think that was the only development that was going to go out there and nothing else was going to come? Of course not. I mean, this, right. you, there's a history of the. I mean, t- when Tony's Seafood opened, that was a, that was the part of town, you know? And, right. and then it just it's slowly moved. But guess what? There's not a whole lot of open space anymore. So pretty soon the city's going to be filled, and we got to figure out the plan. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think those talks have to be had uh, with, with government. I think it's the responsibility of the, of the mayor president's office to, to address the concern because I think St. George could have been avoided, you know, in terms – I think if the mayor would have been a little more proactive – I mean, it only won by 1,500 votes, mm-hmm. you know. And so that says a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think if the mayor would have been a little more proactive – and I, I criticize her for this because I supported her, so I feel responsible. She'd have been more proactive instead of waiting to the 11th hour to start running ads, and she'd have done more and got out in the community and talked to people. I think we, she could have got those 1,500 votes. We wouldn't even be having this conversation today because St. George would have been killed. But we'd be having another – they'd be having another conversation on the back end on how we get them what they want so they don't try this again. Okay. I'm really running out of time because yeah, I have some places. Yeah. No. I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation. I really am. I, I, I want to ask you one other question. Okay. Uh, because it's, it, 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 it was in today's paper. The governor is, to my way of thinking, reneging on 
his first term initiatives to change the industrial tax exemption program. ITAP, uh, yeah. Uh, ITAP. Uh, they are, the, the, the state legislature is debating uh, changes that will allow businesses that apply for ITEP uh, exemptions uh, and are turned down by local municipalities to appeal to the state legislature uh, in the hope that the state legislature will grant them the exemptions that the local municipalities uh, deny. deny. And the mayor, I mean, the governor seems to be in favor of that. When it was the governor's plan initially to give local municipalities more say in the ITEP program, which I thought was the right thing mm -hmm. to do. So I'm I'm personally frustrated that the governor has taken this position. As a future candidate for mayor president of East Baton Rouge Parish, what would be your opinions about the the coming shifts to ITEP? Yeah, well, I, well, I think, uh, assuming, I hadn't read the article yet, but I, I would assume that the governor's get a lot of pressure, you know, uh, from these companies probably, and but also from constituents because uh, the industry does bring a lot of uh, jobs and a lot of um, revenue to the state. Um, however, I think the bigger issue, uh, and just some conversation I had earlier this week with some different people, is that the system is flawed in the local municipalities of how those are granted or denied in terms of um, specifically they're flawed because uh, the process is um, reliant on um, individuals who might not be uh, the best qualified to make these decisions. Uh, so it's not just up to the mayor's office. It's up to, I think, a board uh, is how well, it's applied. The, the sheriff has a say. Mm -hmm. The school board has a say. say. And, and so... And these are the are the entities that are directly affected. The sheriff is the t chief tax collector for the parish. Correct. And schools, you're talking about the need to build new schools. Absolutely. If you're exempting businesses taxes, and industries yeah. from taxes, then we have to constantly go back and get millages mm -hmm. and tax ourselves a different kind of way Absolutely. Uh, in order to uh, provide the facilities that you have. So. I, from my perspective, uh, you have the right people at the table. Yeah. But businesses saying, hey, 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 we're not getting the tax exemptions that we've been getting for the last umpteen years. years right. We, we want to appeal to a higher uh, court. Government. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think the, ch uh, the challenge is, is that I think the sheriff's office, the school board, they're all of them, their, their arguments are correct. You know, hey, like we need those funds. There's no right. doubt about it. Um, but at the same time, I think. I understand when you know the governor's uh, position is probably, hey, you know, we need the economy to continue to grow because it's better for everybody. There's got to be a, a happy medium where at some point, and I, and I say that. And okay, I, Mr. Mayor, I want to I want to see you find that happy yeah, medium. I, yeah, <laughs> it, it's challenging, but there's there's got to be uh, open dialogue. To your point, uh, and look, not every company has to apply for ITA. That's something we were talking about the other day. Like, there's companies that come in that they don't want that. Uh, that the tax relief, they can, they don't even have to go through the process. Mm -hmm. They can just open up and do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. But the ones that do want it, you know, obviously are the ones that are getting denied. And um, I think, I think you have to, I think we have to have open dialogue and really show them the statistics. Hey, here's why we need the funds. Uh, and what's it, maybe there's a different route on how everybody is happy. Maybe it's a, it's a different um, approach. And I'm sure other cities have this and other, in other parts of the country uh, uh, that we can, 
both be happy, you know, mm-hmm. and it might be, hey, we're going to come, but we're not going to open as big because you're not going to give us the big tax break. But there's a way where we can still get funding. And I think it's a bigger conversation, but I think trying to go above them and have the legislature and the government get involved, I think, is is ultimately uh, unfair because I think at the end of the day, it becomes our problem. You know, uh, and so and, and so, yeah, yeah. And so so when so the governor got out of the business, but yeah. now he's being well, he, he's coming back into the business to shift yeah. the business, and 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 I've got concerns about that. And I, th- I think a lot of people do, and I think it's got to be addressed. And I, I, and again, where's our where's our mayor's stance? Do you know what our current mayor's stance is? I mean, where is she where is she at on this? I won't, I, I, I won't speak for okay. the mayor, yeah. but I do. I didn't think, know if it was in the article as well. I was asking. No, 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 no. The, the, the article I was reading in the business report yeah. and, and they, they did not go to the mayor for a statement, mm-hmm. at least not in this particular yeah. article. I have enjoyed this conversation well, as and the time went by much. I have a 12 o'clock meeting. It's five minutes to 12. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even know. But, uh, uh, I have truly enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. I really appreciate you coming by and sharing, me. uh, with us. And I hope you'll come back again. Absolutely. Soon. I'd love to come back. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you.